Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on May 23rd, Lord's Day Service. The words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in your words you have spoken, so we listen and believe. May your word chastise our self-importance and tutor our faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We might be too committed to the idea of finding common ground. Now, sometimes that's fine, but sometimes the differences are so great that to find common ground is to compromise your position. Such was the case between Jesus and the Pharisees. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 records the fifth of five controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees. In this controversy, the Pharisees find another chance to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath when Jesus heals a crippled man. Jesus makes no attempt to avoid the trap. Instead, Jesus calls the crippled man over to stand next to him. Then, Jesus poses a question to the Pharisees that goes straight to the heart of the differences between the two groups. But the question that he poses, which is found in verse 4, is really more of an assertion. And the assertion is that to leave this man unhealed, when Jesus has the power to heal him, is to do evil. To heal the man is to do good. Surely the Sabbath day is a day for doing good rather than evil. The Pharisees respond with sinful stubbornness that grieves and angers Jesus. And after Jesus heals the man, two unlikely allies decide to work together to get rid of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And the Pharisees, you know them, they're the religious fundamentalist of their day. The Herodians were a non-religious group who supported the Herodian dynasty. Think King Herod and all of that. And so, so here we have a story between Jesus and his opponents. And we Christians here in the United States, we have opponents. Most evangelicals today want to find common ground with their opponents. For example, they want to affirm the good qualities of false teaching before they point out its error. 
And I think they do this because they want the world to call them civil. They want to avoid being labeled judgmental. They want to keep their standing in the eyes of the world intact. But when it comes to Jesus and the Pharisees, and when it comes to us reading this story about two groups who are opponents with each other, trying to find the common ground between these two groups, we must not do. Instead of trying to find the common ground between Jesus and Pharisees as our hermeneutic, as our way of interpreting this passage, instead we need to do the exact opposite. Instead we need to push the antithesis. That is, we need to find the differences between these two groups. And so today we will ask two questions. First, we'll ask, what does it mean to follow in the way of the Pharisees? And we'll see three things. And then we'll ask, what does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus Christ? And we'll see three things. So our first question, what does it mean to follow in the way of the Pharisees? Well, first, to follow the Pharisees is to be utterly blind. The Pharisees should not have been surprised that Jesus made the Sabbath a day of healing. You see, the problem isn't that the Pharisees read their Bible too much. It's that they read their Bible too little. Because throughout the Old Testament, it is clear that mercy is a prominent part of the Sabbath. For example, Exodus chapter 20, verse 10 says, On the Sabbath, we're supposed to give rest to others. And then Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 makes clear that that has more than just a physical meaning. That the Sabbath is a day set aside for mercy. And then in the Old Testament, you see there's this series of sabbatical years. Every seventh year, Israel is to give rest to the land. You see this in Exodus chapter 23. So it's not just that people receive rest and people receive mercy. The Sabbath is also a day when the land receives mercy. And so the Pharisees who read the Old Testament, who studied the Old Testament, they should not have been surprised that Jesus made the Sabbath a day of mercy. They should not have been surprised that Jesus made the Sabbath a day of healing. And so Jesus asked this question in verse 4. And notice, how do they respond to that question? We'll look in detail at the question more in a bit, but just notice their response to the question at the end of verse 4. It says, they were silent. And the Pharisees' silence reflects their hardness of heart. Jesus asks, is the Sabbath for doing good or evil? They can't give an answer. Why not? Because they are utterly blind. In particular, they are utterly blind to God's grace. Misinterpreting the Old Testament, as we saw a few weeks ago, misinterpreting the Old Testament is, is not just an academic question. To misinterpret the law of God is to misinterpret God. And so we see this first antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees see the God of the Old Testament as rigid and harsh. Jesus sees the God of the Old Testament as merciful. And so when you reflect on your own life, does your view of the Old Testament match that of the Pharisees? or match that of Jesus? When you reflect on your own life, does your view of God 
reflect that of the Pharisees or reflect that of Jesus? And so, what does it mean to follow in the way of the Pharisees? Well, first, to follow the Pharisees is to be utterly blind to the mercy of God. Second, to follow the Pharisees is to accuse rather than worship. Notice how the Pharisees operate, in particular verse 2. It says, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So what is the attitude of heart for the Pharisees on the Sabbath? Well, we see very clearly in verse 2, their attitude is to accuse someone else rather than to worship God. They are more concerned to accuse Jesus than to worship on the Sabbath. And I wonder how many Christians themselves go to Lord's Day worship with an attitude of accusing others rather than worshiping the Lord. How many Sunday afternoon conversations reflect on the spiritual renewal of worship compared to how many Sunday afternoon conversations critically appraise her dress or the service, the songs, the preacher. He wore that shirt again. The lighting, the length, the temperature. Okay, I guess maybe some things do need criticism. (laughs) But you get the idea. So the Pharisees, it says in verse 2, they watch to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And presumably this violates their own rules about Sabbath work. I mean, have you ever spied on someone? It seems like a lot of work. Jesus, in healing the man, does no work. Notice, he doesn't even touch the man. Jesus simply speaks a word. Is speaking forbidden on the Sabbath? No. And then the disabled man, he did no work in this healing. All he does is stretch out his hand. Is raising your hand above your head forbidden on the Sabbath? No. So who's actually violating the rules here? On the one hand, you have the Pharisees who are spying on Jesus, and then you have Jesus who speaks a word, and then a disabled man who raises his arm above his head. Who is really violating the rules here? Furthermore, when you look at verse 6, after Jesus heals the man, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So, for the Pharisees, healing a man on the Sabbath with merely a spoken word is not allowed, but plotting to kill someone who saves life is allowed. And of course, when you present it like that, you might be thinking, well, how can you miss that? How can they miss the contradiction of the way they operate, of the way they live? How can they reject Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, which is a day of mercy and grace? Well, here's how they miss it, and this is very important. They miss it. They miss the blatant contradiction that's staring them right in the face because they never consider the possibility that this healing might be God's will. Why do they never consider that possibility? Well, it's because they operate with a blinding inflexibility. Instead of seeing God's kingdom, they see a man who needs to be destroyed. 
And so we see this second antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees destroy on the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. When you reflect on your own life, which is more descriptive of the attitudes of your heart? And so what does it mean to follow the Pharisees? Well, first, it means to be utterly blind to the mercy of God. Second, it is to accuse rather than to worship. And third, to follow the Pharisees is to protect your own self-importance. Now, we've already seen something of the attitude of the Pharisees, and we've seen that this attitude causes them to team up with the most unlikely of groups, the Herodians. And we see in verse 6 that the two groups set out to destroy Jesus. And so what we see here is a description of a group of people who are very angry. They hate Jesus. They are angry with Jesus. So why are the Pharisees so angry? Why do they hate Jesus so much? Well, it's because they are driven by an ideology of self-importance. It's an ideology of pride, of egoism, and narcissism. They have control over the Jewish religion at this point in Jewish history. They have rules that they expect the people to follow. And Jesus walks in and he violates those rules. And in so doing, Jesus shows them up. And Jesus shows the failure of leadership that they've been exercising. He shows the failure of the rules. He shows that their leadership and their rules are filled with glitches, with blunders, and with just a plain misunderstanding of the character of God. And so what is it that makes the Pharisees so mad? Well, they get mad because their own self-importance is challenged. And so we see this third antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees get angry when their self-importance is challenged. Jesus gets angry when the character of God is misrepresented. Which is more descriptive of the attitudes of your heart? And so we've been asking the question, what does it mean to follow in the way of the Pharisees? We see three things. Next, we need to ask, what does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus Christ? First, to follow Jesus is to be restored. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And he looked around at them with anger. This is Jesus. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. His hand was restored, it says. Restore means to cause again to be. It means to change into a good state. Mr. Arthur Clinham, in Charles Dickens' novel Little Dorrit, bitterly recalls how as a child he hated Sunday as the day he was threatened with perdition. But as we see, the Sabbath is not a day for that. As we see, the Sabbath is the day of renewal and restoration. Jesus commands the man to stretch out his immobile limb. He could just as easily have said, as he said to the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. 
Mark makes very clear that when Jesus heals a man, it's the outward physical manifestation of the spiritual healing that comes upon the man. And so we see here in Mark chapter 3, the man is restored immediately. The man stretches out his hand in faith. As he obeys, he is healed. And at this point, the reader sees that when Jesus heals, there's forgiveness of sins going along with that. And so we see this fourth antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees see Jesus as a troublemaker. Jesus sees crippled men as needing restoration. What else does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus? Well, number two, to follow Jesus is to have righteous anger. Look again at verse 5. It says, Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. So here we see that Jesus is angry with the Pharisees, and Christ's anger, notice, his anger manifests while he's in the middle of doing good. What is it that makes Jesus so angry? Well, in this story, Jesus has mercy on a man, and the Pharisees' response is cold-blooded. And this is what angers Jesus. And so Jesus' anger is righteous because it is directed at evil. It is righteous anger. We often refer to this as righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is when you have controlled anger at evil. Righteous indignation is when you have controlled anger at evil. And this isn't the only time we see Jesus' righteous indignation. We also see it in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. That's the passage when the disciples refuse to let the little children come to Jesus. And in that passage, we're told that Jesus is indignant, some translations say. And again, in that passage, Jesus' anger is directed at evil. And the evil in that passage is keeping the little children away from Jesus. You might also be thinking of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, when Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Now, you may pretend that your anger is righteous, but we all know that rarely is it righteous. We must confess that of all the emotions people experience, there is none, perhaps, that runs into sin as quickly as the emotion of anger. And for many people, especially men, anger is the only emotion they show. And so you must be aware of the lengths to which ill temper, irritability, and what Christians of old called passions can carry even godly men away into sin. And so yes, there is an anger that is righteous. Yes, there is an anger which is lawful. But we also have to admit that such an anger is not the natural anger that comes out of human beings. There is no human emotion which needs so much caution as anger. We are supposed to be angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry. So I tell you, be angry, but be cautious with that anger. Because the anger of man in its most natural state is seldom for the glory of God. J.C. Ryle says, It is better never to be angry than to be angry and sin. 
And we see in verse 5 that anger against sin is mingled with other emotions, namely grief and sorrow. Do you see this in verse 5? It says, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. So it's not anger in isolation as the only emotion. It's anger mingled with grief and sorrow. Grief and sorrow at the sin, and grief and sorrow at those other human beings who are involved in that sin. And so likewise, when we are angry, with a controlled anger at evil, that anger cannot exist in isolation. It must be coupled with sorrow and grief. And so we must have anger against the sin of abortion. But anger is not enough. That anger needs to be mingled with grief and sorrow for those involved. We must have anger against the sin of lust, yet grieve those involved. We must have anger against the sin of narcissism, yet grieve those involved. As John Owen, the great Puritan, taught us, one of the signs of growing in grace is when you come to hate your own sin. And so I encourage you, when you come to that moment, when you actually start to hate your own sin, it is in that moment that you must stretch out your hand to Jesus for restoration. So we see this fifth antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees get angry at goodness. Jesus gets angry at sin. And lastly, what does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus? Number three, to follow Jesus is to love God and neighbor. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. So this is where Jesus asks this question that's really an assertion. And so Jesus asks the question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm? Well, the answer is to do good. Jesus asks, is it lawful to kill on the Sabbath or to save life? And the answer is to save life. And so it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to save life on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees are silent, we see at the end of verse 4, because if they were to give the obvious answer out loud to that question, that would undermine their entire position. They can't say it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath because their rules restrict Jesus from doing good on the Sabbath. Healing doesn't violate the Old Testament law. The point of the law is to love God and love neighbor. We see that in the great commandment that Jesus gives in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, when he sums up the whole law in this, to love God and to love your neighbor. And so that means that while Jesus is representing us in heaven, we are here on earth reflecting him. So we see this sixth antithesis between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees hinder those in need, and Jesus helps those in in need. And this is really important because the Christian life is about mercy. The Christian life is not about rule making upping. The Christian life is about showing mercy to others. We receive mercy from Christ, and so we show mercy to others in the name of Christ. 
And so then, in what you are doing, are you helping those in need? Are you showing mercy to those in need? Or are you hindering those in need? To do good, as God defines good, is always required. And per verse 4, doing good is defined as saving life. So that's, think of that as like the pinnacle of doing good, saving life. But more broadly, good is benevolence towards others. And so regardless of the day of the week, we should, as Christians, seek to do good to others. We should comfort the morning. We should sit and listen to the elderly. We should talk to the lonely and smile at the grieving. We should pray with the weak and instruct the meek. We should have gentleness with the crude and give generously to the poor. And in all of it, we should recommend our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, as the man to whom you can stretch out your hand. And so in conclusion, there is little common ground between Jesus and the Pharisees. We've identified six points of difference between the two groups. And I pray that these six differences would sink deep into your heart and cause you to be more faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we confess that the way of Jesus is the better way. Yet we also confess that too often we forget this. Too often I thought I was my own. Too often I live to myself. Too often I serve only myself as if I were created for no other reason. And this is why we glory in the cross, where your grace overcomes our sinful stubbornness. Father, we confess all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. dot